Welcome to Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, Army Ranger, real estate investor, and income enthusiast. On this show, we uncover the keys to attaining financial freedom. There are so many people listening right now who are stuck in that day-to-day, nine-to-five rat race. Luckily, it's only temporary. Each week, we bring on guests that help us discover the steps to build financial freedom, passive income, and generational wealth so we can live the life we were born to live. Money is freedom. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, and today's guest is Chris Morin. Chris, what's going on, brother? Hey, Jesse. Good to see you, man. So glad to finally be on here. I know we've been trying to catch up with each other for a long time. So really excited to be here today and and just chat for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, man. I think this interview today, it's so relatable to my audience. It's going to add so much value. I appreciate it. It's a privilege to interview you today. Like seriously, this means a lot. I, I've been following the journey and everything that you've been accomplishing over the last couple of years. It's just so amazing. And I, I, I'm excited because it's just so relatable to my avatar and the people listening right now. You know, maybe for the people who don't follow you on Facebook and the journey, Chris, if you kind of give us a deep dive on the journey and some background into your bio. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, going going way, way back, um, you know, coming out of college, I actually was a high school science teacher. I think a lot of people are kind of amused by that at times. But, you know, like most folks, I was living the American dream or so I thought I was following the blueprint, right? Went to college, got, got a master's degree, good for me. And, you know, I actually was lucky enough to get into one of the top education programs in the country. So I thought I'm all set coming out of here, right? And yeah, a lot of reality kicked me right between the legs because I tell you, I came out of school with mounds and mounds of debt, especially grad school is not cheap. I think I was making 36000 a year at the time. And, um, you know, I could barely afford, a, you know, a second rate apartment and, and a ghetto. <laughs> and of course I had all the bills on top of it. Right. So, um, you know, right out of the gate, I was kind of feeling the pressures of real life. I felt like I was meant for more. I wanted more and, um, it wasn't fun being broke. So it didn't take me too long to start thinking about how I could change my situation. Um, you know, hats off to the educators. I'm not saying it's, it's a bad profession, but it just wasn't for me. <laughs> so I was quick to leave. And, you know, I think the short version of my story is, I did, uh, you know, I was always a go-getter. And so I defined a path for myself. Uh, I started exploring careers and and I found out this thing, business consulting, right? And um, a lot of people were like, dude, you're only a teacher. You, you could never be a consultant. They only hire, you know, MBAs and Ivy Leaguers. And I never take no for an answer. So, you know, the short version, I, I kind of networked my way into one of those, those big consulting firms and started really um, honing my business acumen from there. And you know, I started quickly accelerating through the ranks and on the business front, but, you know, right around, you know, shortly after I left teaching, um, was right about when the the great recession was really, um, at the trough, right? Like at the bottom, but I decided I'm going to jump in and do this real estate thing. I want to figure it out. And it was really more by coincidence. It's not because I saw it as an opportunity. I was like, I need to do this. Um, you know, I started buying courses like most people I was quickly frustrated to see that, like, you know, a lot of those gurus were more interested in selling books and courses than they were helping out. 
you know, I think lucky for me, just being, you know, somebody who, who just refuses to fail, you know, I figured it out. And, you know, I come from a small farm town. And like I said, I come from teaching. So I certainly didn't know anybody, uh, didn't have any advantage over anyone else, certainly didn't even have the money, but I figured out how to raise private money and I started flipping houses. And as a traveling business consultant, you know, I would go to cities, you know, Monday, I'd get on a plane on a Monday morning, go work somewhere for a big company somewhere else in the country and come home on Thursday nights and be home on the weekends. Well, I used my travel to my advantage. I actually started building teams in other cities and, and doing business there and flying home and doing business here in Connecticut. So, you know, for a while, things for things were really on the up and up. I even started a Ferrari wholesale dealership in there. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> and I'm happy to, happy to go deeper into that later. But, um, you know, things were on the up and up. And for about five years, I was growing my career and I was doing this, this business. Um, but something else was happening, right? I was actually burning out. Like flipping houses is a tough business. If you're doing multiple properties, uh, it gets even tougher. Contractors can be a real headache. And, um, you know, my career was consuming more of my time and being on a plane so much. So, you know, really, I, I you know, I guess I, I always joke and say it took five years for the light bulb to go off. You know, flipping houses isn't exactly passive income. And, I remember sitting in a hotel room one day thinking, this is not why I got into real estate. Like I'm burning out. I have no life. Um, and so I let the business run itself out. And I was so burned out. I actually walked away from real estate for like a year and a half. And it wasn't until probably 2015, 2016, I started buying multifamily. And where I live in Connecticut, um, you know, I can throw a rock and hit a two, three, four or five unit building. So very naturally, quite coincidentally, that became my, my area of focus. And, um, you know, very quickly, um, you know, started raising private capital the way I always did. Even though I had my own funds, I still, to this day, always use investor capital. You and I both know the power of that. Um, and started buying multifamily. And, you know, it's kind of off to the races. And that's when my my life really changed. That's when the wealth really just started to build, right? You, you know, you got the passive cash flow. You've got the equity that I always call it sort of the, the forgotten gold mine. It's like the thing you never see or touch until you cash out. But, um, you know, multifamily is where it's at. And, you know, fast forward to today, um, you know, still actively investing. I think a lot of people are actually surprised to know that I still wear that W2 badge of honor uh, with pride. Um, you know, I knew in my late twenties when I started, I didn't know it all. Right. So I, I intended to continue to work because I was learning things that were making me a better business owner. And as an executive now today for a large fortune 150 company in Connecticut, um, you know, that just, uh, it just continues to add value on both fronts. But, you know, I'm kind of at the point in my life where I think I've squeezed all the juice out of the lemon. I think I'm no longer getting the extra value from my job. And so it's now, I think, becoming a barrier for me to do more of the things that I want to do. So it might be that time to, to jump ship. So, you know, continue to follow me and you may see me go in real estate full-time later this year. But um, yeah. And, you know, I think the only other thing I would add is fairly recently, I think, you know, we started Three Peaks Capital. It's the logo behind my head here. Um, and that company is really focused on commercial multifamily real estate. So we, um, are barely three, four months in, and we've already got, um, two LOIs accepted on some assets in Indiana and Kentucky. Um, we're making offers on probably 10 or $20 million worth of real estate every single week. And, uh, we've got a lot of really positive momentum building up. So we're really excited to see what we're going to do there. Yeah. And like I said in the beginning, this journey is something amazing. And I know there's someone listening right now, Chris, who's maybe stuck in that W2 or maybe in, you know, that educator or that burnout job and they're looking for that passive income route or where to go next. What was that mindset shift like? I mean, it had to have taken some type of shift, Chris, in that beginning part where you're this educator dude working the nine to five. I mean, it's a scary part of history. We're in one of the worst economic times ever and you literally <laughs> jumped ship 
to do something completely different. Can you kind of just take me through like the mindset shift that takes to go from nine to five to pursuing and being like an entrepreneur? Yeah. You know, I think some people are motivated by success. Some are motivated by failure. Some are motivated by the pain. I think it's a little bit different for everyone, but for me, um, you know, I wanted to walk, I wanted to get away from the pain that I was feeling and I wanted it so bad in my head. I was thinking, you know, what else do I really have to lose? I have everything to gain and, and quite frankly, I had nothing to lose. And so that was a little bit of a powerful influence for me. I think folks who are later in the life, you know, I meet a lot of people who are in their forties or fifties and they're a stone's throw away from retirement. And they're like, I'm getting into real estate because I'm not prepared, but I have so much more to lose. And so at that point it's, it's different. And I think it's a different mindset shift depending on where you are in your life. But I think either way, you've just got to be prepared to know that, um, you know, yeah, it's scary. You're, you, you know, I think a lot of people, they try to learn everything before they take their first step. Like, dude, I've been doing this for 13 years now. I don't know everything. And every time I sign on the data line, even if it's a duplex, I'm nervous, right? So I don't know if that helps anybody else out there, but like, you know, you're, you're in good company. And if you're feeling uncomfortable, that's, that's the right feeling to have. So just know that you're doing the right thing. But I think, you know, you just got to believe in yourself and trust in a process. I think if, you know, for me, I knew, um, even though I didn't really have anything to lose, I certainly didn't want to lose. Right. So I, I followed the blueprint. I, I knew that if I surrounded myself with, with experts, if, you know, I paid for some mentors, if it goes, if it comes to that, I even found some mentors, you can find mentors. You don't always have to pay for them. But if you, if you build that council sort of above you, right. And you surround yourself with the right folks, success leaves clues. You can follow that blueprint and, um, you know, you can, you can really minimize the risk that you're taking, even though it feels like you're taking a giant risk, you're really, you're really not right. Cause you're mitigating all of those risks along the way. So hopefully that helps folks. I mean, like I said, I, to this day, I'm not comfortable. I'm never comfortable. I'm an anxious individual, but I will always surround myself with people who know the things that I don't so that I know that I'm not the only one making a decision. And my investors like that too. I mean, that goes a long way with my investors when they say, especially early on in the process, right? Like, you know, people would ask me, I remember having money conversations early on and they'd be like, well, do you have any experience? Like that's, that's the hardest question to get around in the beginning. Right. But you know how I got around it? You know, how I actually got people to, to lend me money. I quickly distracted them from the fact that I was new and I showed them that I have a certain level of acumen, right. Or I'm smart. I'm not egotistical and I'm not trying to be the driver. And I would say things like, you know, yeah, I'm new to real estate, but I'm no stranger to business. And I would highlight some things that I've done and maybe it wasn't so super impressive. I was only 26 year old, 26 years old, but I was, I was distracting them front and say, and I also know that I don't know, know everything. That's why I went and surrounded myself with the experts who do. I'm a part of this association. I, I bought into that mastermind. My mentors have, you know, $130 million in assets under management. I don't make a decision that they don't see first. And then suddenly, suddenly they're thinking about, my expanded circle and my mentors and not just me because there's in their mind, there's sort of this team behind it. Right. And there's an element of truth to that because I am a part of those groups. And so again, it, I was able to distract them and show them I'm trying to be a good steward of their capital. I really care about protecting it by going and investing on all these other things. And it made it much easier for people to get comfortable lending me money. And, and that was really the start of it all back in the day. So I kind of went on a tangent there, but I felt like it was relevant for the new guys out there. 
Yeah, it, it's so relevant. And when a business consultant for a top 150 is still getting nervous when he's submitting LOIs on duplexes, I think so many people out, that's so powerful. And I just wanted to, I didn't want to gloss over that because I think so many people out there, Chris, they get stuck in this analysis paralysis and they're like, hey, let me read one more book. You know, let me sit in the mastermind for six more months before I submit that LOI. But it's like, this guy's been doing it for over a decade. 10 to $20 million of real estate a week. And like, he's still getting nervous about the duplex. Like that should be motivating people. Hey, get uncomfortable. Like success begins at the end of your comfort zone. Like get out there and just start, man. And just start. And it's just so powerful. It's like, it's a relief that it's like, yeah, man, even these, even these like guys who are crushing it out there, like, Hey man, it's, it's, it's still nerve wracking. Like it's a fun game though. Um, something I wanted to transition to next, like, you know, looking at that 2008 period, you're in that, flipping, you know, kind of mindset, you know, 2008 to 2013, you know, we've had a lot of people on this show, Chris, my background's in the military. I was a U.S. Army Ranger. A lot of people like to study the psychology of winning, but I love to study the psychology of quitting. You know, what causes people to quit? Someone who makes it versus someone who doesn't make it. And I've had a great experience in my life and kind of being exposed to this, but I'm curious your thoughts on this, especially in that 08, 2013 timeframe. I mean, over your entire career, you know, why do why do some people make it and some people don't? You know, you, like you said, I think we could talk about this one all day. It's so big and and it's it's it just means so much because I, I hate when I see people walk away. And and I think you, the way you framed it is exactly that. Sometimes you hear people talk about it as like, why do so many people fail out of the business? And it's not that they fail, right? I think people just choose to walk away. It's always the decision to walk away. You know, I think. When I when I reflect on it, there's kind of two things that come to mind. One of the things that I left out is I've so I've mentored a lot of people personally, and and way back in my investing journey, Dan Merrill and the guys at Fortune Builders, right? If you've seen them on Flip This House on A and E, they had a big education business, and they still do. They actually reached out to me and said, "Hey, we want you to coach our students." And so I got exposure to people all over the country, and so I've I've had a lot of these conversations. And I here's what I what I've what I've seen just personally. This is Chris's opinion. I think one is, you know, people are they're they're trying to chase the the path of least resistance, like they want the fastest way to a million. And when you try to trace that root cause, they're really just trying to escape from something. Maybe they had a bad week or they had a big bill pop in and like they're feeling some pain and they just like they're like, I'm gonna go do this real estate thing because they know it's easy to make a lot of money. But they haven't truly like got underneath like what they really want for themselves and what their goals really are, and, and so they just jump into anything that sounds good. Or somebody said, "Hey, wholesale or or go to do go do syndications, right?" So I think where I'm going with this is if you don't get really honest with yourself first about what you want and what it's going to do for you, um, you're not going to have a strong why behind everything that you're doing, right? And so when the going gets tough and you get a few rejections and some sellers tell you to take a hike or pound sand and some investors reject you like that's not enough for you to want to continue to push through right because you knew that the goals you had initially they were artificial you were just trying to escape some pain and it wasn't real for you i think the other thing is for some of those folks who it is really real for them they're clear like this is the goal i want this is the money i want to make and this is what it's going to do for me and my family they're not truly in love with the process they're not yeah i mean you have to be in love with the process because you're going to experience a lot of pain and a lot of mental 
strain because you get a lot of rejections, right? And sometimes it feels like you're making no momentum and then you're making a ton. And and that could just, that could mentally feel really hard. And so again, people give up. And if you're not in love with that process, you're willing to walk away from your goal. But here's here's an interesting thing. What a lot of people don't realize is that you could still enjoy the benefits of real estate, all the benefits that you and I enjoy, right? On the passive investor side. And so I spent a lot of time, I meet a lot of folks at real real estate investor events who are just like looking for that secret shortcut to win come to find out like they don't really want to be the active operator owner. Like they're not good business owners. They're not good. They don't want to manage people. Right. But they don't realize like, Hey, you can actually partner with somebody like me. You can invest through me. You can, you can still earn cash flow. You can still earn, still earn equity. And so I think there's a lot of folks again, who, who don't realize there's an active and a passive side of this business. And so, um, that that's what I see. So you either fall into the bucket of like you're pursuing some some goal that is just superficial. It's it's not authentic to you, and so then you end up also not pursuing the right strategy because you don't even know what it is you're trying to achieve, or you know you know what it is you want to achieve, but you realize like running a business just isn't for me. But you didn't realize there's a passive income side of this business too, and so that's kind of what I've seen. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And just to your point there about, you know, so many people who want the quick route or the fast route, I think that there's this illusion or fallacy that going the short route is actually going to get you there faster. But I think so many people are jamming themselves down the, the short route that if they just took the long route, it'd be such a smoother ride because there's so many less people trying to go the long route. So I think there's this illusion that cutting corners and, and trying to have this, you know, short-term mentality is going to be like my gate to riches or something like that. But I thought that was okay. just such a, a great point. And uh, yeah, I mean, to your point about grit and just refusing to quit, I, I tell every like new investor, and you know, if it takes six months to get that first deal, if it takes six years if you just refuse to quit, you're going to figure it out eventually and just and find success. It's those people, in, in my opinion, looking at the military, real estate, just my experiences, like it's the dudes who are just refuse to freaking quit that are going to be the ones standing at the end and, and find that success. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, it's, here's another point too. I think a lot of people, they try to do too much on their own, right? Especially if you're in the W2, like, like myself and, and like I was back then and heck I was traveling on a plane, you know, trying to be the guy who is like talking to brokers and finding deals or doing marketing and talking to sellers and visiting properties, right? All the upfront acquisition stuff, but then also like trying to raise private money or, you know, trying to go build contractor relationships for the post act, like, like end to end, there's so much stuff that has to happen in a transaction. There's no reason why any one person should feel like they have to do it on their own. So I think it's really important to just find, you know, be, be visible, um, be present in, in local mastermind groups or real estate investor associations, find people who are sort of philosophically aligned to you. Right. You know, when you, and what do I mean by that? Like you just kind of talk about like what makes a good deal, a bad deal, what's risky, what's not, what are the good markets? Like if you find you're thinking the same way and you're jiving, right. And you get under it and, and maybe you're more of like a spreadsheet numbers kind of guy. And they, they love getting out and, and talking people's ears off. And they're like the, the extrovert that's great at building like broker and contractor relations. You realize there could be a real synergy there where you can, you can join forces and there's not an overlap, right? There's like a very clear segregation of duties. You can both do integral parts of the business. And I think, you know, 
some people, I think some people go to the mindset, well, then I'm going to have to split the deal and then it's not really worth my time. And again, then I think that's just a limited mindset, right? But like, if you really, if you're really in this business for the long haul and you're focusing long-term on scale, you can get there a hell of a lot faster with a partner, a lot less stress too. And in the end, you make a heck of a lot more money. So I really encourage folks to really think about, you know, trying to find partners. It's easier than you think. And it doesn't mean you have to get married to them. I say all the time, like, you're not going to, you meet somebody, have a couple of really good conversations. Then the conversation looks like this. Hey, we seem to be chasing the same aspiration. We seem very much aligned. We seem like we have complementary skills. Like, let's do a deal together. We don't have to get married. We don't have to form a company. This doesn't have to be a long-term marriage, but let's do a deal. And if we realize, hey, I hate working with you. All right, we part ways, but we have a deal. Or if you love it, you know, form a company and then do many more, but just don't try to do it on your own. Yeah, I love that too. Growing, doing it together, you're going to grow so much faster. And I, you just hit the nail on the head. It's such a limited mindset that I have to do this all myself to save equity or save money in the deal. But it's really, it's once you're able to get over that barrier, you can grow so much faster. So um, yeah. I'm really glad you you hit that. Um, I want to transition into a little bit in the part of you know rejection and quitting, like the concept of finding deals. I know you use several different avenues: broker relations, direct to seller. You know. I guess kind of for the newbies out there, or maybe people looking for that first deal or trying to make more of a robust acquisition system, Chris, like what recommendations do you have for finding deals? Especially because I feel like we came out of this, you know, time frame where people are like, there, there is no more good deals and stuff like that. Like, what do you say to those people out there like saying stuff like that? Deals are <laughs> everywhere. Deals are everywhere. That's probably the easiest side of the business to be honest with you. Here's, here's, Here's my advice, and I'm going to preface it with this. I'm going to assume that the average listener still has a job. like They're not already doing this full-time because they might not be looking for help on the podcast. right? So I'm going to assume they have a full-time job. They probably also have families and hobbies and lots of other things that consume and command their attention for time, which means you have very little time that you can allocate to this business that's so very important to you. That said, get off the the get off the the webinars and all the junk spammy emails out there about the next best online marketing tool or doing direct mail skip like get away from all that because I'll tell you why I used to spend thousands of dollars every month um, at scale when I was doing mailers I mean we were probably getting three three to five hundred leads a week and you need to be incredibly organized because you've got all these new leads coming in um every single month. And, you know, on month two, you have to be following up with still following up with the leads from month one, but you have to catch all the leads in month two and it continues to compound. And oh, by the way, if you're not a great salesman, you're not going to close those leads. You're just throwing money out the door, right? So there, I could go down that rat hole, but starting the marketing engine is extremely difficult and it can be very costly. It's a cer- certainly super profitable if you have the right infrastructure and you have the right team. But early on, your goal should be to, to minimize your overhead cost, right? And again, going back to the fact that you have limited time, I would say focus on your broker relations. Now, people are like, oh, on-market deals suck. That's not true. There's a lot of deals out there that have been on the market for 6 to 10 months or 12 months or even over a year because the sellers were irrational and some poor agent promised them the world. But guess what? Real estate investors are really bad at tracking and following up with old leads on market. Everybody has their attention on the new stuff. So if you're the one circling back with the old stuff, those sellers have heard the same complaints enough times. Reality's starting to kick in. You'd be surprised. You can close some deals that are on market. On the flip side of that, I always tell people, 
call an, call every agent in your area. Say, hey, I'm Chris Morin. This is what I'm looking for. This is, I'm, this is my buy box, right? Um, do, do you have any things, anything in inventory that I can take a look at today? Do you have anything coming to market, right? The off-market stuff that I can take a look at and make an offer right away? And if the answer is yes, great, get out there. And if it's a good deal, make an offer because they're testing you if you're legitimate or not. And you better, if they throw you a fastball down the middle, you better take a swing at it. Otherwise they know you're fake and they're never going to send you a deal again. But if they don't, call the next agent, call the next agent, call the next agent. Week number two, call that same office again. Talk to somebody else. You want to be so front of mind for everybody in that office that when the off-market properties do come up, they absolutely call you. And you shouldn't take offense when somebody doesn't call you back in three days or a week and be like, oh, they don't think I'm legit. They've rejected me, right? And like start poo-poo and pitying yourself and then you don't call them back. Because listen, they get calls from people like you every single day and they're really busy. They simply forgot. You know, they simply forgot. Give them benefit of the doubt. So you have to take the initiative to stay front of mind call them again, call everyone in the office. And when they're having their team meetings and they're talking about new buyers and new properties, they're like, Hey, you talk to Chris too. Yeah. I talked to and everyone on the, everyone around the tables. Like this guy, Chris is hungry. Like, right. Just being front of mind is within your control. And that's how you're eventually going to get an off market deal. I'm going to repeat the point I said before, you better be educated. You better know how to analyze the deal and you better, you know, you're going to be scared, but you better be ready to make an offer because when they give you a chance to go to bat, that's when your life changes or you shut it down on your own. That's you, you have the power at that point. And so you've got to be ready to put in that offer and, and make the deal happen, but you will get the off market deal. And I tell you the first time you close on one, many more follow after that. So those off market deals are real and you can absolutely get it. You just got to pound the phones and, and, and continue at it a little bit every day uh, for a week or two. I think you'll be amazed at the results you're going to get. Yeah, I think you hit so many great points in there. And I, I just can't agree enough with obviously staying front of mind. That's huge. These people are incredibly busy. I mean, just like you and I, I think we underestimate that aspect. But just that point too of like, when they give you a pitch, you've got to be ready to swing at it. I mean, yeah. that credibility, in my opinion, is huge in this field's business when it comes to broker relations and whatnot. Like it's like you said, it's going to be nerve wracking, but you've got to be ready to attack when they give you that opportunity to build that credibility. And then once you hit that first one, it's like, okay, Chris can close, man. He's dependable. He he gets the deal done. He gets it through contract. Okay, let's start feeding him more. Like it's just going to compound over and over again. That's right. That's right. It's that the law of the first deal, right? I won't take credit for that. It's Michael Blanc saying, but it's so true. And I'll tell you for the listeners, if you put something under contract and you're like, oh my God, what did I just do? Like, go ahead and have your freak out moment. Call Jesse, call me, message me on Facebook, whatever. I'll coach you through it. But, uh, you know, take that swing, put it under contract. Your life's going to change. Robusta Move was founded from our passion for two of the most simple and amazing things in life. Good coffee and good music. Both of these enjoyable aspects of life play a vital role in the bringing together of people. And although we understand that everyone's music taste is different, there's no denying that when it comes to coffee, the difference between a good cup and a bad cup is undeniably blatant. That's why in the spirit of community and coming together, we at Robusta Move have made it our mission to supply our customers with superior coffee that you, your friends, and your family can enjoy. And we'll leave the playlist up to you. Visit robustamove.com and save 20% on your first order with the code VINYL. That's code VINYL, 
V-I-N-Y-L to save 20% on your first order at robustamove.com. Robusta Move Coffee. Try it today. Yeah, yeah, that's so powerful. Um, transitioning more into kind of maybe the syndication side and investor yeah. relations and raising money and stuff like that. I love what you do on Facebook with your social media presence and, and everything that goes into that. Any tips for maybe some newbies out there that are interested in getting started in syndication and maybe yeah. are looking to raise for that first deal and they're like, man, I don't know how to even... I've never raised a dime from anybody, Chris. Like, Where, where do those people kind of start? Yeah. Okay. Couple of things in there. So where where did so where does the newbie start? Let's just talk about like how would you start even if you didn't have any capital and you're staring a deal down the face, or you're staring a deal in the face. A lot of people in the beginning uh, don't necessarily have the capital connections that they would need to get the deal done. So they reach out to partners like us, or even in my instance, you know, if we're taking if we're trying to take down a deal that is just outside of our wheelhouse, it's it's something we couldn't close on on our own either because maybe we have to raise more money than we've ever raised before, or we don't our balance sheet isn't big enough so the bank won't let us sign on our own loan, right? So we have to bring in a, a KP. Um, reach out. And, and this goes back to the good old fashioned, you should always be networking, expanding your network. You reach out to other syndicators, other operators in the space and say, hey, we've got this deal. Um, if you like the deal, will you help us raise the money? You'll be amazed. Like, yes, there are so many people out there who are willing to help you raise the money. You've got to give them a little slice of it, right? Because there's a reward for that. But there's a lot of people out there who are willing to help you. So again, it, always, it all goes back down to like, don't think you're alone in this world. Don't try to do it all on your own. Continue to network. And for, for the new guys out there, you just find a good deal and you can find a partner. Heck, you can partner with Three Peaks Capital, my company, and there's many more out there. And you probably can partner with Jesse, right? He'll help you raise the capital if he believes in your team and if he believes in the deal. It's really that simple. I think for a lot of folks maybe who are also thinking about the social media front or even just in trying to raise money in general, there's a couple of things that I, I want to sort of call out. Number one, with your social media, I would say get your social media primed for success. There's a lot of people who try to friend me and they try to like pitch themselves as like a capital raiser or a, a, an LP or an like they come at me with all these pitches and I'm like, okay, let me, I go jump into their Facebook page and then I see, you know, political rants or maybe a God forbid, I even see some swearing. So like, write Some really unprofessional stuff. If I, if within 10 seconds, I can't see like this guy is committed to his craft. He's a master of his craft. He, this dude, like, lives and breathes real estate, I'm probably calling you out for a fake and you're losing credibility on me, right? Um, so that's one thing. So, you know, you should always kind of be posting. It's not that you're you're trying to ask for stuff or you're trying to say, hey, lend me money, right? Just like, but be show, showcasing. What are you doing? What's your philosophy? What are you looking at? What markets are you searching in? What deals are you walking away from, right? I should see that you're very committed to real estate and you're an active part of the business. And then it, it just it just really helps. The other thing is, you may not have deals that you can post so you can attract investors in the beginning, but one very good thing you could do is talk about all the deals that you're analyzing. Hey, we're really excited to be looking at this one. Um, a lot of upside potential, more to come. A day later, post why maybe you you made an offer and, what, and, and why you chose that particular offer price. Or if you chose to walk away from it entirely, there's a lot of power in describing why. It showcases your expertise. It shows you know how to get under the get under the covers with the numbers and the details and and expose what those real risks are, right? And so people like me watch that and like, okay, the guy really understands his business. If I were to lend to him, my money maybe my money isn't at risk, right? So 
you may not be doing deals, but you can also be talking about all the analysis you're doing and all the deals you're walking away from. And here's the real power in that. And I had a mentor teach me this and, and it's just so true. The day you come with a deal and you say, hey, here's a great opportunity to invest, or if you came and asked me personally on a phone call or through Messenger, I've already seen, and in my head, I'm thinking, wow, this guy walks away from 12 out of 13 deals or 99 out of 100, and he's saying this one is the one. Maybe it's the one, right? I know you're super rigorous in your underwriting. I know you're super critical in what you choose to pursue and don't. And if you're telling me it's a winner, I think I believe you, right? So there's a lot of power and doing that stuff along the way. So just a couple of tips there for some newbies. Yeah. I, I love to your point about uh, social media and I see it just all the time too, where like, you know, you're, you're uh, this professional figure, you know, we're real estate investors, syndicators, and to be posting maybe things that aren't as professional. It's just, I, I would never want to give my money to somebody like that and trust my net worth with someone, you know, that's posting maybe something unprofessional or something like that. And then just here also a couple of your other points, one of the best point or one of the best things that uh, one of my mentors gave me is like, Jesse, you know, dig your well before you need it when it comes to raising capital. Like you shouldn't be raising capital when the deal goes under contract. You need to be raising capital 12 months, 24 months, years before that. Just yeah. just to caveat off your point, you're always raising capital. When you're in the line at Starbucks, when you're at the conference, you know, it doesn't matter. When you're at parent teacher night, like you're always raising capital. So I just think that's it's it's so incredibly powerful. And that was just one of my uh points that one of my mentors gave me. Yeah, no, it's so true. Yeah, I'm la- I started smiling here when you said Starbucks because I literally got my first private money lender ever in a line at Starbucks. So I'm like, that's so true. Um, yeah, I, I literally, this was 2009 and I'm, I'm like 27 or whatever at the time or 20, I can't even remember anymore. And, um, there's some guys talking about the market and how it's, you know, it's, 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 it's hurting their portfolios and their, their stocks, whatever. And I mean, it's some crack, like you should invest in real estate, right? It was really lame, whatever it was but they turned around and started socializing with me and it turned into a conversation at a table. And I I'll fast forward the conversation. That gentleman who happened to be dressed casually that day was this, the CEO and owner of a, a private company, but it, they are basically the largest competitor and in internationally with StubHub who sells tickets online. Right. And this dude had a personal net worth of over a hundred million and he became my first lender and he was committed to doing a million dollars in deals a month. Right. And so you know, you never know when <clears throat> the conversation you strike up is going to lead to big things. So yeah, to Jesse's point, like you always got to be talking about it. <clears throat> Actually, let me just, let me just expound on that a little bit, because if anybody, people have always said to me, like, what's the secret to like really raise money? And I'm like, you might hate me for this because there's really no magic pill. Like you just got to be talking about it all the time. And so, you know, next time you're hanging out, even with your friends and they start talking about the Yankees game or whatever, and they ask you like, what have you been up to? Even if over the past weekend you were just sitting around drinking beers all day, and hopefully that's not all you were doing, you should say to them, I was looking at real estate deals. I'm getting into real estate. I'm going to buy commercial multifamily apartment complexes. I'm really excited about it. And you want to know what's going to happen? They're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. You're into that? Like, how does that work? Tell me more. And all of a sudden you're going down that conversation. And without truly selling them or asking them for anything, you're just answering their questions. You're educating them. You're planting seeds. You're building that awareness. You're getting them excited. And it's that simple. You don't have to get financial commitments every time you have a conversation. But the more times you talk about it, people are starting to think about it in their minds. What if I got involved, right? Because in your conversation, you could say, yeah, my mentors are teaching me 
all about how to raise, you know, basically people come together, they pool their capital and they buy these, these assets. It's really low risk and everybody wins. Like the more I learn about it, the more I can't believe I didn't do it sooner. Right. You can just plant little seeds like that. And these people go home and they sleep at night and they think, maybe I should call Chris. Maybe I should get involved in that. Right. So like always planting those seeds. And the next time you see them, they might ask you more conver- more questions. You have a little bit of conversation about it. You're just watering those seeds. Right. So um, I just, I wanted to say that because when we talk about having conversations and raising capital, it isn't so much that you're pitching them a deal and you're asking them for money, just talking about your business alone and showcasing some of your expertise and making them aware is, is good enough. You're, you're watering those, those seeds, the plants are growing and eventually they bear fruit, right? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And the education piece is so important. People view, I think some people view like raising capital as in like, Hey, I, I need to convince people. But if you just educate people, people will come to you. The money, you know, you can cast the net and the fish just come to you. And people don't understand how, how incredibly powerful. And I've learned that in the last 12 months of how amazing that is just building authentic relationships and educating people. And, and then when you, it's time to raise capital, it's not like, man, I'm stressing. It's like, no, I've gotten all these people already warm and ready to go. So, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's super, uh, that's super keen kind of getting ready to wrap up here, Chris, I want to talk a little bit about three peaks and what you guys have been working on and just like the overall like, kind of business strategy of what you guys are doing. And obviously I don't, I don't want to deep dive into anything that, um, you know, might not be SEC compliant or, you know, advertise or anything like that. But if you could just kind of talk through maybe a couple of the projects you guys are working on or having the pipeline coming up. And I just want to learn more about the company and where you guys are looking at and, and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 For sure. So, um, so we are targeting multifamily apartment complexes, right? Initially out of the gate, we are targeting stuff more in like the 50 to 75 unit range. It's too big for the small landlords, um, you know, the more advanced landlords, it's just, it's too big for them to to grow into the space nor do they have an interest in it. And it's too small to really get the attention of the large experienced syndicators or, or family offices and private equity, right. That are buying the really big stuff. Um, so it's kind of like, I don't want to call it a forgotten space, but it certainly gets a lot less attention. And, you know, when your company is newer, you could be more competitive early on. And then obviously the capital requirements going in are, are a little bit lower. So, it's a really good space. We are making offers on, you know, 150 units and up when, when those things hit the desk and we think the deal's good, but that's, that's kind of our focus zone right now. We're primarily focusing in the Midwest right now. There's a lot of markets that we like. We've got uh, 44 units under contract in um, Louisville, Kentucky. We've got another 45 there that I think we're, we're, we're going to land another week or so. We've got 40 units under contract in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, a great sort of forgotten little marketplace up there. Rents um, have just been climbing quite nicely. Um, they're in, they're in line with median income, so there's a lot of good things going there. Um, very strong infrastructure development, so it's kind of a smaller market that a lot of people don't pay attention to, but it's a really good market. So we're excited there. So yeah, we're um, you know we're focused on on that Midwest region, and you know we are getting deals at this point. You know in markets in Tennessee and the Carolinas and in suburbs of Atlanta, which which are fantastic. So we're underwriting those and submitting the offers as we get them. But just because we have a, a good, strong foothold with our relationships and we do have inventory already in the Midwest, it just makes for a good place to start. And obviously, those are, are landlord-friendly um, states and there's a lot of other benefits to investing there. Um, you know, The markets that we're choosing have good, broad industry Fortune 500 exposure. So it's not just that the big companies are there. Those come, like in Louisville in particular, I think they've been, the companies have invested like 
$3 billion over the last decade to really improve the local infrastructure and really take ownership of the city. There's a lot of good development there and there's a lot of runway. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's within a day's drive of 75% of the people in the United States. Um, it's a major distribution hub and it's growing as more companies continue to, to onshore as they retool their supply chains, right? They learn from the pandemic and they're bringing their, their supply chains back onshore. We're going to see more growth in that area. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons economically why I'm targeting there. So I'm kind of going on a ramp, but, um, you know, I take a real hard look at the underpinning economics when I choose the market. And I think some of those places are really poised for, they've got a long runway for more growth, you know? So yeah, we're, we're really enjoying our time in that space. You know, the team, it's a, it's a three partner team. I Myself. You know, I bring uh, bring a lot of the economics expertise to the table out of the real estate strategy. Another partner is uh, an attorney out of Seattle. He's actually an underwriting wizard. He actually was invited to Michael Blanc's event uh, recently, and he went down and he presented to operators some of them who you know who 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 purchased a hundred million dollars a year. They were they were asking him for advice, right? So we have a really strong expertise in house. Another partner, he's the kind of guy who built and exited a company for well over a million dollars by the time he was 22 years old, comes from a commercial construction family, has his own uh, apartment complexes already. Um, we've just got an outstanding team. Uh, I'm onboarding this weekend a gentleman who's former private equity uh, analyst who's going to help us on the deal sourcing side and structuring some of the debt. So we're building a world-class team. And I say that because if there's anybody out there who's in, interested in learning more about our company, hopefully you don't mind me doing this plug, Jesse. You know, we 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 know what we're doing. Um, I, I've said it before, I surround myself with, with amazing talent. Um, so that we can look around the corners and we know what's coming. We see the risks, we mitigate them, we underwrite conservatively, and um, you know we win when we do deals. So really excited about what Three Peaks has coming down the pipe in the, the next couple of months here. Yeah, I, I think that's amazing. And just for you, kind of, I love how you just deep dive the team there. And, and one of my favorite books is Good to Great by Jim Collins, where he details, you know, getting the right people on the bus in the right seats is is what is what's going to change true success. Like the people, the powers within the people. And it's just so true here with your team yeah. there at Three Peaks. It's, it is a, a world-class team. And I'm just so excited for you guys and what you have going on. Um, kind of last question I just want to ask you here, Chris, not real estate related, but one of your, one of my favorite parts is following your journey on Facebook when it comes to like all the physical training you're doing and stuff like that. <laughs> I, I love seeing, I, 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 you always do like, I think it's a Saturday morning run post or something like that. You're crushing like a half marathon or 10 K or something like that. How, how important is like the physical and mental health to being like an entrepreneur on like a daily basis for you? Oh man. You know, for me in particular, and I believe this has to be true for other, it's just so important. Um, you know, not, not only is it, it's just, it's kind of a way of, of just taking control, right? It's, it's a way of proving yourself. You can do anything. You like one, like you said, I ran 13 miles this morning. So I got before I am on a Saturday, I did a half marathon. I went to the gym, all of that before you and I jumped on the phone here. Heck, I even shut off a couple of emails to some contractors, but it's just really important. And when you brave the elements, I'll do it in the winter. If it's, you know, 10 below zero and I come back and there's ice all in my beard. Um, you know, it's just something about it. it just proves to yourself. You can do anything. Um, you know, as they say, strong body, strong mind, it just, it motivates you, it gets you excited, gets all the right hormones flowing. Right. So I, I find that I'm more energetic, I'm more creative, you know, for me personally, fitness is a way of life and I will never stop doing it. No matter how busy my life gets, um, I will never deprioritize the time that I spend to, to go running and focus on my health or eat well, or, or go to the gym. I will find a way to, you know, if it's, if it's because, you know, the business is growing and I, I, I just can't find the time, well, then I'm going to, 
I'm going to hire a VA or I'm going to bring on another team member, but I'm never going to sacrifice the attention that I give to my health. It's just so important. It, it is. It is. And I'll, I'll tell you, waking up early and getting that first workout, that sweat at like 5 a.m., 6 a.m., like that gives me more energy than if I had slept in until like 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock. Yeah, like, and it feels I'm, amazing. Yeah, I'm going to feel lazy. Like I'm going to feel sluggish. There's something about just getting that blood like flowing in the morning where now like I have that momentum to like carry me through the day. And I, I just hope like so many people like, and granted, like I grew up in the military where like we, I've been waking up at 5 a.m. every day for, you know, however long, but, and it's now conditioned to my body. Like I wake up not even on an alarm in the morning, but I, I tell anybody, like, if you don't do it, like just do it for a week and you're, you, you're going to see such a change. Just get that blood flowing first thing in the morning. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. Yeah, it's it's really powerful. But Chris, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I mean, putting basically your entire resume out to the audience today and, and everything. I think we've really hit so many great points in your journey and what all the cool projects you have working on at Three Peaks. I want people to connect with you after the show, Chris. I know we've talked a little bit about Facebook already, but what other platforms can people reach you on? People who want to learn more about Three Peaks, maybe you know, looking for opportunities or you know, a uh, mentor, you know, stuff like. Like that, how can people reach you after the show? Yeah, so I would say, um, just be sheer timing right now. The best way to, to reach me is either through Facebook Messenger or on LinkedIn. Um, we actually are retooling our websites right now, so I don't want to say, Oh, go to threepeakscap.com or, or get rental rich, which is my old education program. Actually, I'm pulling that down, we're revamping everything. But, um, Facebook's a great place to start, and I would tell everybody, like, you know, look at what I do, it's not perfect. Um, Jesse, I'm thankful that that you like it and appreciate it and hey, copy it, right? Like look at how I talk to people, look at how I use posts to educate and, and copy, right? Success leaves clues. So, you know, follow me, not just to, to become a friend, but uh, follow me to, to model my behavior and what I do. And then of course, if you have a question, I'm all about giving back. I love to help people. Um, so yeah, message me privately a question. I'm happy to reach out and answer. If you want mentorship, we can discuss that too. But um but yeah, I'm I'm an, I'm an open door policy with anyone and everyone out there. Yeah, I, I love that. I love the message at Three Peaks. I love what you guys are doing over there. It's a world class team. And just for the audience's situational awareness, I mean, I think I just you know randomly messaged you one day on LinkedIn or Facebook, and I was like, hey, I just want to hop on a call. And we ended up chatting for an hour. You know, obviously, like that's right. You you just like open book, like, hey, dude, try something like this, or have you done that, or something like that, dude. So it's just so powerful. And I believe that the true power to receiving is first you must give, and that's what you guys are doing over there, Chris. It's it's a amazing what you guys are doing at three peaks. I love the journey. It's success is going to be, uh, it's paramount for you guys. And I can't wait to see what you guys have in store for the rest of the year. So I can't thank you enough again, brother, for coming on wealth science. It was amazing. Today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thanks again for listening to the wealth science podcast. Take some time to subscribe and leave us a review. It really is the basis that helps us continue to bring on amazing guests each week. We have another incredible story to share next week, and I'm certain it's going to add value to this community. Please do not hesitate to reach out if there's anything I can do to help you in your journey of attaining financial freedom. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.